Small and medium-scale enterprises are generally regarded as the engine of economic growth and equitable development in developing economies. They are labor-intensive, capital-saving, and they are also set to be the key to Nigeria's economic growth, poverty elevation, and employment generation. While the sheer quantity of small businesses springing up in Nigeria is quite encouraging, the United Nations Industrial Development Organization's Investment and Technology Promotion Office in Nigeria says only 20% of these SMEs survive beyond five years, which is very unfortunate. Ayo Bankole Akitujoye, a strategy consultant with over a decade of experience in leadership roles as the head of strategy groups in the financial markets, co-founded the SME Bootcamp to help enhance the business management skills of small business owners to reduce the risks of failure. He has supported over 4,500 SMEs through the bootcamp and through Caladium Consulting, a firm he founded to provide MSMEs with access to first-class professional services. On this podcast, I sat down for a chat with Ayo, and he identified funding as a major challenge small and medium-scale enterprises face. To address that problem, Ayo is working with colleagues in the tech industry to build a platform that enables small business owners access funding. My name is Fola Folayan. Welcome to Minding Your Business Africa. I'm just going to ask that you share the story. I mean, it's one of the most widely known things about you, the Lagos SME Bootcamp. So how did it begin for you and why is it important? So the inflection point for me, when I knew that I needed to, when I generated an interest in helping businesses was, um, again, watching my mom, watching my mom manage as a very small business, you know, after my dad died. Um, you know, she was she was doing very well with Lafarge um, to the West African Portland Cement back then, okay. and then she retired shortly before my dad died, and invested a chunk of her money in my dad's business, and my dad died with all of, all of those stuff, and um, we were literally left stranded, and my mom had to you know do a lot of struggle you know raising me with her small capital, and um, you know every night she would manage she would do accounting to the letter of a small business right so i knew i wanted to be a, a, a business consultant right mm. but i didn't have clarity as to which business consulting i wanted to do so i then um you know got admitted into ui and i joined an organization called iStec and um i think it was final year or something no maybe 300 i attended an iSec national conference and that was what made me um, interest, decide, okay, I wanted to be a strategy person. So when I started my career in strategy consulting, I then saw that, look, these small businesses that I even wanted to help cannot afford it, right? They couldn't afford the services, right? I mean, specifically, we were in meetings, we were in a meeting sometime in 2012 or so, 
mm. with a small business or a medium business and you know brilliant set of guys who needed our help then i was working with one of these global friends and we told them you know sorry guys yes we are brilliant guys but you know this idea is good but we can't you can't afford us because you know our minimum threshold as at then was eighty thousand us dollars right so i then told myself that look i needed to find a way to connect with these guys right so I started my consulting firm, that's Caledium Consulting. Okay. And when I started the firm, I still realized that, look, you know, so I was trying, trying to do professional services for all these guys that are affordable fees. But a lot of them could not still pay. Because again, remember, MSMEs are divided into multiple uh, different categories, right? You yeah. have these small businesses, you have the medium, and then you have the micro. And the guys that I really wanted to help are the micro guys. Mm. And the truth is that the micro guys, um, so about about seventy, about ninety percent of MSMEs are micro guys. Now about seventy-five percent of the micro guys have capital, total capital of less than ten million, and are not even registered, right? So wow. they are that small. So they don't have any excess fees to be paying you for professional services. Mm. So that was why I said, okay, let us start up the Lagos SME Bootcamp to support them with those access to those same um, services, you know, that the big boys have for free. Mm. So that's what it's all about. So, but I can't do it alone. So what the idea is to aggregate the skills of all of these top experts who you ordinarily you would have to pay through your nose to get, mm. you know, come to the bootcamp to teach small business owners on practical, it's like advisory services for free. So you have partners, you know, from KPMG, from Ernst & Young, from PWC, you have people like Devola Williams, you have um, Akiala. So you have all of these guys who come in and teach MSMEs on all these things and also mentor them for free, right? So that's the whole idea. So we have the session itself, the bootcamp itself. We have the incubation uh, segments and we introduced recently the capital, uh, the, the pitch and the capital business segment where we give a token to few business owners i mean the challenges that you have listed they are still there and i like the fact that you're doing everything that you can you're doing this to mitigate those challenges now so i I read in an article this morning just when i was preparing for this podcast that most african small businesses are set up by people looking for an alternative to employment to unemployment yeah and Mm. because of that they are not set to innovate and that's why that's the 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 root cause of a lot of the challenges that they face it's hard to innovate it's hard to grow because they're not even set up for the kind of growth that we are hoping that they get to because of the foundation in the first place do you think do you agree with that um so yeah you know most of them go into the businesses for survival you know as Mm. alternative to income uh, but when you then say because of that they are unable to achieve the goals, uh, it's a bit confusing for me. Are you saying that because of innovate. the motive? Okay, because of the motive that drives them into the business. Yeah, basically, um, you know, you set up this business just to augment, you know, your underemployment or your unemployment, just to basic for basic survival purposes. So they're mm-hmm. not, um, you know, they're they're not willing to, they're they're not set up to 
to maybe infusing more capital as long as it's able to meet immediate needs a lot of times you know some of the small business owners would have it's like a hand-to-mouth kind of situation as the money is coming in it's going into feeding and basic survival so so i don't think that uh, that motive is is enough i don't think i don't agree that that's the reason why they don't innovate or that they don't innovate at all except there is data mm. that shows it except there is data that shows it uh, i would say that it is even on the contrary so yes okay. you are very correct uh, we are we have even done several surveys that you know establish that fact that most um, msmes or startups arise as a result of survival you know um i mean nigerians do not especially africans they don't go into businesses because of passion most of them don't most of them go in because there are no jobs or the ones that even have jobs, the jobs barely take them home. So it's a survival thing for a lot of them. However, a lot of them then also have grown these businesses. Even the ones who started off as side hustles have then evolved into making it full-time hustles. And they've adapted, they've adopted several innovative measures to grow this business. And it's global. It's not some of the world's biggest organizations started as side hustles. If you look mm. at the founder of Nike, you know, even the founder of Nike, if you like, you know, he started this thing as a side hustle as at that time. When he, you know, in fact, he, he got to a point where he had to change jobs to a less, he left uh, uh, Pricewaterhouse then, you know, to Coopers uh, and Life, now PWC, to take on a teaching job at the university because hmm. he knew that, look, this business will still not be able to sustain me, right? It, it, it was hmm. called Blue Ribbon then. It won't be able to sustain him yet. And it was, he still couldn't, and he couldn't combine it effectively with the pressure of being an accountant. So he went to take a teaching job. And that was where he met his wife. And he was still running that business together with his wife as a side hustle. So, mm. and look at Nike today, you know, and they grew it consistently. And there are quite a number of them like that, even in, in Nigeria, even in my community. You know, I know several people who started it as side hustles, either as students or even at the beginning of their careers or. So I don't think that that's necessarily an obstacle to innovation or that, okay. uh, we, you know, I haven't seen the data, but I don't think, in fact, I think that's the major, that's probably even a, a, a motivator for innovation because survival mm. is the biggest, innovation, biggest motivation. You know, if I, if I can innovate on this thing and I grow it, uh, it increases my chances of survival, right? You know, yeah. but if I'm comfortable where I am already, the chances are that, I mean, just adopt the, the easiest way out or get other people who can innovate. So mm. I don't think, I don't actually agree with that. Mm. I, I see, I, I definitely see your point. And it which brings me to um, funding. Since we're talking innovation and expansion, and of course you can't do this if you don't have funding. Um, every time we talk about SMEs, at least in Nigeria, every time we talk about, you know, small businesses and growth, it all, the conversation always comes down to raising funding sometimes it's even raising capital to start other times it's you know raising capital to ex uh, raising money to uh, to expand now um. small businesses currently of course we know it plays a significant role in um, low-income countries like nigeria representing nearly 80 percent of jobs that we have considering how important this is how this contributes to our economy why is financing still a problem why is it still difficult to get 
you know, to, for, for small business owners to access funding from, say, commercial banks, for instance? Excellent question, right? Uh, and I mean, I've taken it upon myself to advocate around this thing. And uh, we're even currently building a tech startup, right, mm-hmm. to solve this problem, um, especially for women-owned businesses. Um, I mean, so solving the problem from a working capital angle, and I'll, I'll tell you why. So the reason why is because, remember I told you earlier that over 70% of MSMEs, you know, you have to look at the data, right? Yeah. Majority of MSMEs are micro. Majority of micro are in the informal space. Mm. And the characteristics of the informal space is that, one, you do not have data that the lenders will need, especially the banks, right? Mm. You do not have uh, you do not have structure, you do not have records, you do not have the governance, right? You do not have any business plan, a financial forecast. Mm. So the, the, the process, the system is, is weak against the, the the micro businesses, the smallest, mm. the majority, don't let's even say the smallest now. I think the most important thing here is that the majority, because yeah. there is no point um, saying you are solving a problem that doesn't address, you know, the problem for the majority. And you know, this is this is always at the heart of my advocacy, even when it comes to public governance in Nigeria. Mm. You are proposing a solution. The majority of those with the problem, you are your your solution by design already excludes them. And this is not only commercial banks, even the CBN that you would expect to have sense and understand the people that they are governing. Right, they will come mm. up with palliative, they will come up with look at doing COVID, right? A lot yeah. of our community members applied for the NESA palliative for COVID uh, uh, stimulus package. And NESA and CBN were asking these guys for business plan. How can a micro business have a business plan? For you to be developing a decent business plan, you most likely will already, you know be in a conscious state of where you want your business to go in the next few years but a few of these guys do not know these things the 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 reality is that those who are suffering these things those who are the the most susceptible to the volatility of our economy you know these small businesses they die once anything happens like all these big ones who still have cash buffer the ones who need the money the most do not have the capacity do not have the range do not have the technical know-how to be coming up with business plans. So what then happened then, expectedly, was that Nezal and his agents were just exploiting these guys. They would tell them, oh, pay 5K, pay 10K, you know, and, you know, we'll help you do the business plan and then you can apply. That was what happened. And a lot of them till tomorrow did not get the fund. They didn't see any plan and they paid. So, wow. so that's what happened. The same thing with commercial banks. Commercial banks are private entities. They will look at this that look, you are a small business, your business is still volatile, I can't give you my money. You know, so I can even understand for them. But for the likes of CBN, for BOI, for DBN, you know, the government agencies, as a matter of fact, it is government that should be providing commercial banks with funding dedicated to the micro-enterprises in a way that meets their unique characteristics. And I said this on radio a few days ago, that what we need for these guys are grants because if you want to give them loans then you will be you will start thinking about all of the risk elements oh what's the chances mm-hmm. of repaying do you get my point and then it takes so us right back design, to where we started from initially 
exactly it takes us back to where we started from so so you know again it's called rca strategy you have to look at the root cause of the problem so that you can address that the root cause and the root cause is that there's poverty these guys are a bit for survival these guys majority of them are not educated majority of them you know do not have sufficient capital majority mm-hmm. of them do not they, they are just they just want to survive so what they need are grants if you give them grants structured grants right and you leverage communities you know that these guys are already used to i can imagine for example if you are going to give grants to members of my community i know a lot of them already some of them have been with us for three four years we can help you monitor if you go into lagos island you work with the thrift societies the cooperatives the unions right mm-hmm. they already know their members right they know their members and you can you can provide very solid soft grants that would help these guys scale and even provide more jobs i think that's what the problem is the problem is that we are we are we you know the problem is that by design these guys cannot are not risk they are high risk and naturally because they are high risk lenders are going to be shying away from them so yeah. it has to be a concerted effort to provide um, 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 liquidity uh, solutions that meets them at the point of their needs and accommodates their unique characteristics hmm. Now, what do you think for? I mean, for for a lot of uh, the micro business owners or someone who is uh, someone who's just planning to, to start a micro business, how best do you think they can position themselves, you know, to access some of these opportunities when they come? Because uh, another thing I found out is, you know, I, you know, I've interacted with you know some micro business owners, and they will tell you that, oh, I don't know where to go, I don't know who to ask. I don't know who to help me. So they're basically, um, for those who are in a community like yours and you know some of these thrift communities, some of these cooperative groups, amazing, but some are not. So are you saying that if they're outside of these communities, they will not have access to you know these opportunities or this information? And should everyone join a community like that? How best can they position themselves? Well, the truth is, it's not, I mean, again, freedom of association is not compulsory for everybody to join the community. However, again, the way the Nigerian economy is set up is such that even as citizens, if you are a, a lone citizen, you most likely are helpless in this society, right? Yeah. Um, the more, yeah, you know, is is unfortunately an economy and society that does not care for you know the individual citizen so how much more you as a business owner you are on your own in isolation somewhere look mm. it doesn't pay you it doesn't pay your business it doesn't help you the future of your business so it's best for you to you know um align with a group of others you know because in, your size is not big enough the dangote is big enough to get the attention of government uh, uh, Abu Rabi, the Bua guy, is big enough. Your Tedolas and Co. Those guys have sufficient scale. You know the 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 Alaki Jazz. All these guys mm-hmm. have sufficient you know capacity to influence things. But you, as um, what's it called, as an individual small business owner, you will be shortchanging yourself if you do not align yourself with a few of these communities. And then, of course because communities are communities there are other people who are coming in every day to volunteer to do research to do um, um capacity enhancement so there's mm-hmm. a lot that you can gain i think 
it's best for you if you are a, if you are a business owner to join communities you can leverage the skills of others you can increase your access to information mm. a lot of the communities also provide funding amongst themselves so it's just best for you that's on one leg mm. on another leg right you also have to try as much as possible to build structure especially finance structure right okay if you need somebody to give you to once you start identifying that look uh, my personal where with all of capacity is insufficient for the growth of this business, then it only makes sense for you to know that at that point, you need other people's money, right? Mm. If you need other people's money, then it's no longer just your money or your business. You can't just be doing it anyhow. So you have to be able to convince that person that is about to give you money or that you want to give you money, that you are going to manage their money properly. And mm. the way to show that is to demonstrate that you you are accountable right now again accounting because again i don't like to speak about the heads of 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 the people so that i'm not guilty of what others say i also recognize the fact that msmes cannot a lot of them cannot afford to hire accountants however there are some medium organizations you'll be shocked who make upwards of 200 million a year and do not have accountants I do not know why they go and quickly hire HR people, you know, hire brand people, content creators, and they don't have accountants. It is preposterous. I, I do not understand it. You know, so if you can afford it, hire an accountant, even if it's a copper, you know, that can start and grow with you. Mm. You know, hire an accountant. However, if you cannot afford an accountant, what we are building now, FederGap uh, also is going to embed that feature uh, where we'll be able to uh, where small businesses, as in addition to being able to access working capital and uh, liquidity, uh, would also be able to do basic accounting. Right? You can invoice. Okay. You can, you know, when you invoice, yes, you know. And there are other softwares, there are other apps, very affordable. Some of them you pay as low as you know twelve thousand, ten thousand a year for a full year, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so. so yeah, so people just need to know these things. Unfortunately, I can't really advert for some of them. But if you Google it, you will see them, yeah. you know, both local and international. And they are affordable. So I, the guy that I buy my beard oil from, is very small business, he sends me an automated generated invoice via one of these apps and I make mm-hmm. payments, right? Yeah. And of course, once you generate the invoice, it converts into sale on the app. And at the end of the period, you can download a, a, a statement, sort of mm. a management account. And... So it's as simple as ABC. If you sell hair, you sell shoes, you you get my point. And, yes, you yes. Know, it's also better if you can create your own. Uh, 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 once you have a business name, create an account, uh, 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 open an account number for it, and you use you, all businesses that go through the account number for the business. Don't go and start giving it to your boyfriend or your girlfriend to be helping you send something, or you go for lunch mm. and you are the ATM of the of the of the business to make payment. So you don't do all of that, right? Mm, you separate mm. the business from the individual. You use such of these affordable apps, and you know you are right on the journey. So when somebody comes to meet you and says, "Oh, okay, can I see your books? You know, what do you? How much do you make in a year? What do you do? You have these figures. You, if you don't it. have these figures. Yeah. yeah, if you do not have these things, look, these guys are not charities. You know, if you want to, even the grant, even those giving you grants, you still want to know what you are going to do with the money and the best mm-hmm. way to show what you the money is to show what you have been doing you know and what mm. you will do in future so those are just one of 
these are just uh, two two of the things that uh, and then digital footprint is also important uh, digital yeah. footprint is extremely important you know okay uh, people want to turn into people that they know you know which is why you see that a lot of times those who win grants and and funding once you've gotten one the chances you keep getting more is high because mm. people want to give money to people that either they themselves know or that others have validated to be genuine do you yeah. get and so, they look trustworthy so exactly you know so digital footprint is so important your instagram your facebook your twitter account your web your website even if you can't afford to build a website look these other platforms are, are, are literally free right um although the co-founder of piggyverse was saying at the last at my last boot camp that that everything about piggyverse literally started and continues to run on the back of twitter even the idea came out from Twitter. Mm. The, the testing of the product market feed, the onboarding of the first set of users, everything happened on Twitter. So, so, so look, and today they have over 3 million users. So you can literally do anything on Twitter, you know. So, but if people go online and they see your interaction, they see your footprint, they see your customers, you know, saying, oh, you are a solid guy. They, you know, they would. It's another way to validate that okay, this guy is genuine, and then you increase your chances. Mm. But trust me, do not joke with those communities; they are very critical. Wow! So, community, uh, accounting, and digital footprints—those three keys—they're yeah. they're very, very important. I, and I must say, I—I I mean, for me, running a small business on the side myself, I—I I, I have learned some very um, you know important points here and i feel like anyone who's listening to this would definitely pick up on that as well now let, let's talk about um challenges um you know for for scaling up for keeping the doors open we talked about during covid19 so many small businesses could not keep up the ones who survived, mm. some of uh, you know, the ones who are able to use technology, you know, the ones who are able to come online, who are able to use uh, social media or digital platforms to keep the doors open. You know, I, I run a training service, and we we used to have um, physical classes. When COVID happened, the whole of the COVID year, that's 2020, um, we moved our classes uh, online and we held digital classes. We had we had to discount the price because, of course, people's earning power mm. reduced. You know, so we had to do a discount. But one thing, one lesson I learned for my business was that I found out that I had more students. So when we were doing physical classes. Our classroom, sometimes we could only take maybe 25 to 30 students, yeah? But when we were doing online classes, Mm. I had people who registered from Benin, people who registered from Ghana. It was, it opened my eyes to a different opportunity, like, oh, okay, so we can serve Mm. more people now that we are virtual. And then I saw when when I took took out the cost of going to physical classes, and you know all the logistics involved the numbers you know made sense and it, it just opened my eyes to mm. the opportunities available so I, I guess i'm asking with, with what what's going on right now now we have the omicron variant we don't know what impact this is going to have on 
physical businesses. Um, even though I personally don't think the Nigerian government is going to shut us down for anything, you know, but we don't know what this is going to mean really in the long run and how long this is going to last. So, um, how can young businesses who have solely relied on person-to-person physical contact Knowing what can happen in the world, how can they adapt such that if there's mm. any other kind of disaster like we had in 2020, the impact will be minimal? I think that you even sort of answered this question. Digital is the <laughs> way forward, right? Digital is the way forward. But as I always say in a few places where I, like, when I uh, teach at retreats for my clients and when I speak in events, I always say that technology adoption is different from digital experience and digital business or, digi- or digital uh, uh, digital usage. So mm. you have already adopted technology. You sell on Instagram, you sell online, you issue invoices online. It's not the same as digital. It's not the same as experience. We're in the digital experience age. Mm. What matters is, are you able to provide value end to end? Are you a primarily digital company, or are you only just using digital technology product, uh, technology tools, right? So if you are able to, if you are able to evolve into a digital company, then you would reduce you would reduce the impact of um, of all of these shocks on your business, right? You know, just as you said. if you those who were able to adopt adapt very quickly during COVID, were the guys who were already who were who were already structured for digital, you know, and um, unfortunately, a lot of them who were not structured for digital suffered it very brutally, and uh, you know, including even the large enterprises who before COVID were very adverse to digital or technology, you know, uh, 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 adoption, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not enough to say, oh, oh but, I, but I sell on, online. Oh, but I, but I do delivery. Oh, but, uh, but I have, uh, I use laptop. I use this, I use that. Do you get my point? Yes. So, you know, what matters is that, um, what experience do you, you Hello? Can, can you hear I can me? hear you. I can hear you very well. Hello? I can hear you. Okay, so what matters is, you know, what experience do you create, do you provide for your customers on digital platforms? You know, are they able to trust you? You provide the same experience for them even when they don't see you. Because remember that our culture, um, you know, our culture is still a bit averse to digital because Mm. there are so many problems with doing business here that makes digital 100% digital a bit difficult and one of those things is infrastructural challenges so I promise a customer you know that I'm going to deliver in 48 hours or in 6 hours um, mm. and I'm, I'm unable to meet that delivery right um, or I deliver something that is totally you know of subpar quality to what I promised and I say oh I have a no refund policy that's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen online. Or, um, you know, you keep arguing with your customer back and forth. So it's about experience, you know, because there's an entire, there's an entire um, expectation that is a bit, a bit strict and a bit different and a bit 
the dynamics is a bit different when you are doing digital, you know, mm. versus when you are doing traditional. So you can't. So for you to say you are successfully running a digital experience business, you have to be willing to leave the digital culture. So digital culture would make it people will trust you so well, even when they don't see you, even when Omicron says nobody should come out. People will still go to you because they believe that it's as good as coming to you physically. Do mm. you get my point? So yeah, yeah. it's about that trust level. It's about that trust level. That's why even to buy a book, I would rather order a book on Amazon than order it on Jumia because mm. I, I, the trust level is higher. You get You know yeah. that Jumia will tell, you know Amazon will tell you honestly that Oh, this book is refurbished. This book is paperback. This book is this. This book is. Do you get? If you are going to buy a laptop that is refurbished, Amazon will tell you exactly what is wrong with the laptop. They will tell the history of it. There is no need deceiving you. You know, I, I remember when I bought. Um, I can't remember what I bought on Apple, and I think it was. I made it, it was a mistake order or something, or I didn't order the right color. I can't remember now. A few years ago, and I had to make another order, and. They returned, they returned, the thing had already shipped and they shipped it back and returned the money. You know, within six hours or three hours or so, if it was Nigeria, you would sweat and chase. And in fact, I have funds that if tomorrow I can't have, I've, I've just let it go. So creating a digital experience is what can make, can make or mar you in this age that we are in where there is COVID here and there, there are mm-hmm. issues that you know, even even in terms of cost of doing business, physical cost now is not making sense anymore. Operating costs are getting higher, diesel every day. So the more you are able to uh, adapt your business to digital, the better for you. Mm. Digital culture. Digital culture, amazing. Anyway, just before I let you go, Ayo, um, you said in one of your tweets, you actually did a poll thread and I found it very interesting. And I said I was going to ask you about it on this podcast. You said you're working on a product that would help uh-huh. SMEs easily access funding uh, for their business. Do you want uh-huh. to share about this product now? Is it something you can talk about now? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that was what I mentioned earlier. Uh, it's called Pedagap, right? It's, um, so unfortunately, I can't disclose end to end yet because it's still it's still in the works but okay the whole idea of it is to support um you know msmes with working capital so mm. some of them and if you see uh, if you see you know our survey you see that um you know we our our, our fears you know have, have been validated because you know a lot of them have issues with about 78% of them say that capital is their biggest challenge, right? Yes. So after they started up, so a lot of them say, oh, startup capital is my biggest problem. Half, 50%. However, when they then start up, what happens is that that startup capital becomes inadequate. So they are unable to meet new demand because mm-hmm. their, the working capital is not sufficient. Because out of the startup capital, and there is data that even shows us that out of this total startup capital, over 30% of it is spent on power alone. So wow. your part of capital is already depleted and you don't have money to run anymore. So, and then you have, if God wants to now help you, you are now working in, a, in an industry where you, 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 you supply your client, your client doesn't pay you until maybe two weeks or 30 days later. Mm-hmm. And you are, your cash then gets fat, you are unable to make new demand, uh, to meet new demand. 
so that in between is what we're trying to help people solve you know okay um of course the product is still being developed uh, we're also trying to consult with um, as many as many stakeholders and investors as possible because look providing uh, working capital for msmes require a lot of a lot of liquidity so mm-hmm. um we're still trying to rally, we're, we're trying we're trying to design as, as as nimble as possible for for people and of course you know the market is ready we have a community of over 4,000 MSMEs who constantly tell us that they need this. And if you see our survey again, you will see that, look, these guys are, don't even mind sacrificing a part of their, of their profit margin. Oh, yes. I, I saw that. I mean, 80% says, um, you know, they're willing to sacrifice 5 to 10% of their profit, you know. I'm telling to, you. To, to get uh, working capital or instant funding. I'm telling you. And this is just online, so it's not just only online that we did it. We also we also deployed it offline, offline you know, as well, so that we have a balance. Yeah, because you know there's a general perception that the online demographic can be different. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, you know, so 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 is a is a major problem, and the, and there's a, there's a ready market for it, right? So um, that's one thing that we are working on, and um, you know we'll be happy to onboard you once we start off. You, I mean, you now in your your own business, so you have one. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. We'll be happy to onboard you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, Ayo, um, listening to you this morning has been really inspiring and very enlightening. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And um, thank you for having me. Let us know if uh, there's anything coming up. We're going to be on the lookout on all your social media platforms and even on the Lagos SME website as well uh, for any updates and any upcoming programs that um, our listeners can sign up on. And that's our conversation today on Minding Your Business Africa. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow all previous conversations on podpage.com forward slash NYB Africa. You can also listen exclusively on Spotify and Google Podcasts.